You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 133 and 134 of Reading Through the Bible, the oral tradition style. And uh, before we start today's show, which uh, we're glad you're with us, we do want to make a little note. We are in Samson. We're in Judges, right? Yeah. And we just want to say if... You know, if uh, your kids are listening to this for some reason, they're just listening to 40 minutes of Bible talk, that's great. We love it. But today's episode, you might want to listen to first, simply because uh, in the book of Judges, the things that are going on with Samson, and especially after Samson with Micah and the Levite, get pretty gruesome. And we're not going to spend a whole bunch of time being gross, but we do have to address it. Yeah. So just be, uh, be alert. And maybe we'll give another little, uh, a little sound to let you know what's happening. Okay. Okay. It's all happening. It's starting now. So, kids, why don't you just uh, plug your ears? But uh, where are we, Matt? All right. Our Old Testament reading for today is Judges, chapter 16 through chapter 19. Samson, uh, it just ended with, uh, he ruled 20 years. Uh-huh. And then the next line is, Samson goes and pays a uh, prostitute in Gaza a visit. Yeah. So, <laughs> he's like super, uh, apparently, it's, he's like super far away from his vow, his Nazarite vow, his connection to Israel, and because... Uh, Again, Gaza is a Philistine city, and it's like kind of like one of their main centers, main cities. And there's a temple to Dagon there, and so to like again, prostitution's connected to uh, pagan worship. Yeah, and so he's aligning himself with uh, their god of Dagon. It's like this half fish, half human sea god. Mm-hmm. So again, he's like. Far away from He's everything. off the rails. And again, uh, we'll remind <clears throat> everybody, all of the religions are linked. All of the idol worship is, it's physical and spiritual. Mm-hmm. There's always a link. And so um, sexuality is the most primary base kind of place where religion and physical meet. And so all the cultic religions use that because yeah. it's a... It's a creative way of expressing what they want, which is fertility on the land, fertility in their families, protection, blessing, unity, all that kind of stuff. So the enemy always raises up these lowercase g gods and confuses uh, procreation, creation with lusts and using each other. And it's pretty gross. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And so it, it always is mixed up with worship. Yeah. And so he visits a temple prostitute in Gaza and it's kind of thinking about it too, it's probably his way of showing like he has no fear of the Philistines, yeah. so he's able to walk right into their city, yes, act like one of them because immediately the uh, the inhabitants of the city are plotting like they can't believe Samson's there, and they're right. plotting to kill him in the morning, right. Like they're surrounding the house, they're waiting for him to wake up in the morning, and then as soon as he comes out, they're going to kill him. Yeah, and this is the guy who killed a thousand people with a donkey yeah. jawbone. So they they're all scared of him. He walks in, and um, 
And as they try to capture him, he shows his dominance physically by just picking up their gates. Yeah, so they lock the city down to make sure, like, no one can leave. And they're waiting for morning to come for him to try to leave, and then they're going to attack him. But he gets up in the middle of the night to basically sneak out, finds that there are giant, massive gates, which are heavily fortified, are locked. And instead, he tears them out of the city wall and carries them potentially 40 miles and then sets them up on a hill. Yeah, it's a joke. I mean, and some people even relate this to the gates of hell shall yeah. not prevail against it. Like the yeah. idea of Christ breaking open the gates of hell are similar to what Samson did here. It's an amazing physical feat. Mm-hmm. But, um, but again, what's helpful is to realize that Samson is pretty much, repre- he represents Israel. Yeah. So they're, <clears throat> they're uh, weak in their spiritual situation and they're full of lust and they're going after other gods doing whatever they want yet at the same time they have this power of the god that's god is being very merciful he's and merciful he's waiting he's even empowering them to have little victories like this but again what what samson's doing is not right mm-hmm. but god's with them yes and so um anyway this they decide kind of like what moab did like let's get to this guy a different way yeah we can't go at him physically so let's get to them through the women. Yeah. And so they go to Delilah. They say, look, we'll give you what essentially is, I forget the number, 1,000 pieces so 11, of silver. 1,100 pieces of which, silver. Which uh, all the notes say it's about 15 years worth of work. Yeah. So she would be set up financially. Just trap him. Figure out what goes up, what, what gives him his strength. Yes. Yeah, so he falls in love with this woman. They approach her and give her a bribe. And then so she's on it. She is going to figure out how to get this money so there's three essentially what three times yeah and you know it's basically the same story what's shocking about it the same story is she tries to trap he gives a false reason for his strength Mm -hmm. then breaks through the bounds or the bind they bind him up with like flax or with rope or new rope old rope anyway he he's kind of clever and messing with them Mm -hmm. but what's shocking about it is he knows she's trying to trick him yeah but he doesn't care because he kind of feels invincible and if he's representing israel again it's like you know when you're going to other gods you're just so blinded by your lust you're like well i'll just get what i can and i I don't know i don't know what you're thinking Mm -hmm. but uh, samson just he knows it's happening so the third time he finally confesses to her that his seven locks so it's like he has this huge head of dreadlocks and apparently he's got seven main ones Mm -hmm. cut those off and you lose his strength but i think he doesn't even really believe that because i think like you either already talked about or are going to the nazarite vow this is like the one thing he hasn't broken he's broken every other part of this vow Mm -hmm. which originates in leviticus when you're making a vow to god usually temporary but in this case lifelong he's broken every single part of it except mm-hmm. for this hair thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think he doesn't really think it matters. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think he thinks the strength is his own. Yes, which is what happens to God's people when they stop putting their faith in Christ mm-hmm. and re- don't realize that they're living under the blessing of God and it's uh, everything is a gift. So I think he's just playing with her, thinking like she can try whatever she wants because right. he's always just going to be cut invisible. The, so cut the hair. Yeah. Well, it works. Yeah. And uh, they catch him. 
He loses all his strength. I think that's when the Lord actually says, all right, there's not even one part of the vow. You've touched dead things. You've had uh, immoral sexual relations. I mean, sexual relations at all. He's had wine. He's had wine. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. There's like all these things, and he's broken all of them. The hair thing was the last thing to go. And finally, it's the Spirit of the Lord leaves him. His enemies capture him and instantly, like, humiliate him. They, They poke his eyes out. They tie him up in their temple back in Gaza, and they bring him out. And, like, a lot of the commentators think, because they brought him out to entertain the people. Because he's a funny guy. They probably, well, yeah, he has, like, riddles and stuff, but they probably also, like, were probably making him try to do tremendous feats of strength, which he can no longer do, and so everyone's ridiculing and laughing at him while he's at this temple. But you know what I'm realizing, too, is, you know, we think of it as hair, the hair was the strength. And don't be confused. It was the spirit of the Lord that filled mm-hmm. him that was his strength. Yeah. So, like, let's say he hadn't touched a dead thing yet, but he'd shaved his head. He still might have had the spirit of the Lord. And then if he touched, like, the last thing were of disregarding the Lord, yeah. then fine, the Lord's gone. Mm-hmm. And so what's cool about the hair, though, is that it's hard to bring back when you've touched the dead things, you've drank the wine, the hair grows back and it's yes. new. And so that is a place of restoration. Mm-hmm. So as he's being mocked, I think they gouge out his eyes uh, is a perfect representation of Israel being spiritually blind yes. and humiliated by these lesser gods, mm-hmm. these ridiculous gods that um, only hurt people. And, um, and there he is at the big party, and finally he does the thing that Israel, <clears throat> the only thing that ever saves Israel, which is to call out to the Lord. Yeah. So I think his... It's been a while. His hair is growing back. He realizes he's at this temple. He realizes there's tons of Philistines there. And he cries out to God. And what's really cool is he uses the three names of God that he knows. Um, He uses uh, Adonai, Yahweh, and Elohim in his call out to God. Yes. He says, Oh Lord, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. Oh God, yeah, that I might be avenged in the Philistines. Yeah, so he says, Oh Lord God. Yeah, so it's, you're right. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, so he's using all the names of God to just cry out, to be deferential. And I've always heard this as like, he's doing it from a place of arrogance, but I think for once he's doing it from a place of humility because mm-hmm. he's being, he's humbled. He's completely at the mercy of his enemies. He is recognizing where his strength came from. Right. He's recognizing it came from God. He's recognizing that he does not deserve this, the strength to return. But he's also recognizing his initial purpose from God, which is to destroy the Philistines. Yeah, he's supposed to be a thorn. or Yeah, a thorn in the side of the Philistines. Right. He's supposed to save the people from this threat. And so he is recognizing, I can do this. I can, I can be restored if God will allow it, I can be restored to my original purpose. And he and... and uh, At the expense of his own life. Yep. So he's like, I don't care, I'll die. And he does. He kills more people in his death, 3,000, than he did when he was alive. Yeah. And uh, so it works. And so he's remembered in the Hall of Faith. And what is so confusing, in the Hall of Faith is in Hebrews, I think chapter 11. Mm-hmm. And we usually look at that to look for moral people to example our lives after. Yeah. And Samson is a good example. Yeah. And here's what his example is. Not the way he lived, but 
actually, by the end of his life, he knew to call out to the Lord in humility. And that's mm-hmm. your only shot of salvation. And that's, mm-hmm. so that's why he's in the hall of faith. Like he called out. And so when we call out, we can call out daily, cry out, God, help me. Lord God, help me. And that is the example of a person who has faith. And then his life finds its fulfillment in uh, the plans of God. Yeah, I mean, it's very, you get a very strong image of Christ here. He's in between two pillars, his arms outstretched like Jesus on the cross. He accomplishes more in death. And he, by doing it, he topples the house of Dagon like a temple right. dedicated to some demonic God and destroys the enemies of Israel. And at the same time, he shows how far away Israel, the people of God, have gotten mm-hmm. from God. I mean, it's very conflicted, right? Yeah. It's, it's, but it's exactly our experience. You can look at your sinful life and then it's like, or the thief on the cross who just says, remember me, and Jesus mm-hmm. says, I'll remember you. Um, so that's Samson. This is kind of showing us, this is like the last real deliverer that's mentioned now. Yeah, until uh, we get to Samuel. Yes, until Samuel's Samuel. the final judge. But So the next several chapters, uh, <laughs> the language Things change. get weird. And so this is kind of my take on this. Yeah. Uh, the language changes. This whole book up till now, 16 chapters, we've heard nothing about the Levites or the priests. What's going on with the tabernacle and the Levites, Matt? Yeah. And we've heard nothing. Right. And so I think these last couple chapters is a snapshot of like the Levites early in the history of Israel. Okay. In the land of of Canaan and then a snapshot at the very end right. before we get to Samuel. So Judges has been predominantly looking at the political activity of Israel. Mm-hmm. And so, and it kind of culminates in a religious moment of God help. Yes. God raises up a political deliverer to fight battles, secure the land, give them rest for 20, 40 years at a time before they fall, repeat the cycle. Now we meet the Levites. And so, um, so this kind of, you feel like goes back to closer to the beginning. So that whole span has been like 350 years yes. or so yes. that we just covered from Othniel to Samson. Yeah, and, so um, I would say chapter um, 17 and 18 are probably early in the story, like right after Joshua's death, because the Levite here is potentially a grandson of Moses. Okay. So we're not too far removed from when they get in, and also the events that are described in here are hinted at or referred to in Joshua. So okay. the writer of Joshua knew about this stuff. So here we get, we set up, we're in the hill country of Ephraim, and there's this man named Micah, and he apparently, his mother had lost uh, 1,100 pieces of silver, uh, which is five years of work. Um, So 1,100 would be five years. Uh, When we were referencing before what was offered to Delilah, she was offered... um, Three times that amount. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, that would have been 15. But this is five years worth of money that's gone. And she had put a curse on whoever took it. And Micah, her son, comes forward and says, I took your money. Like, he's afraid of the curse. He doesn't want the curse to fall onto him. So, he tells his mom, he owns up, saying, I stole the money from you. Here's the money that you were looking for. And so, the mom now, who has this one son, who's her... Uh, financial provision at this point 
backtracks. She says a blessing, like she tries to bless him in the name of the Lord, and then does very confusing things, which is takes the money and makes an idol out of it. She, right. she invokes God's name, blesses it, and then turns it into a carved metal image. Uh, and an ephod, too. The same thing one of the uh, Gideon, Gideon did. did. Yeah. And they make an ephod, and then Micah sets up a shrine and then ordains his son to be a priest. And again, the priesthood is supposed to go through the Levites and specifically through Aaron's lineage of the Levites. Right. And, and so this is what we have early in Israel's time in the land is this guy who's using cursed money to create a shrine in the name of the Lord and ordaining his own sons for priesthood. Everything is, like, backward. Yeah. And that's why it says at the end of, like, verse 6, it says everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Mm-hmm. So you have not far away, I think in Shiloh is where the tabernacle is. There's a prescribed place, the prescribed priest where yeah. God meets. Yeah, they're not that far from you Shiloh. Are, uh, you're not allowed to just create a place and a shrine. And, and no matter what your heart feels, it's just not what God says to do. And... Mm-hmm. So they do everything wrong. They create this, uh, these idols, and then they create a priesthood. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. And you think, and that sounds bad enough, but it gets worse because now the Levites are introduced. There was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, the family of Judah, who was a Levite. And so the idea you get here, he sojourned. He's out of his allotted land. Yes. So the idea is that the Levites are not being taken care of by the tribes the way they were commanded to. Mm-hmm. The Levites are not where they're supposed to be. They're sojourning. They're like scattering. Yeah. So this Levite comes and uh, Micah's like, was it Micah? He says, hey, mm-hmm. you're a real priest. Yeah. And see, there's syncretism. Like you're starting to say, oh, you're a real priest. You're piecing together your own kind of theology. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you're a real Levite. Hey, you want to work here in my house? I've made this little makeshift shrine and temple, and we have our own little gods, and why don't you work here? And he agrees to it. Yeah, Levi's like, sweet, that sounds awesome. Like, someone's finally recognizing my heritage, and right. this sounds close enough to something, so I'm going to do it. And again, I mean, this is not... God ordains a way. He loves us, and he's given us very specific ways to meet with us so that we don't <laughs> die. And he says, don't follow all this other stuff. But here we are, the people of God, uh, chasing after and worshiping our own opinions, our own preferences, rather than his word to us. Well, that sounds bad enough, right? Right. But it gets, gets worse. This is where it gets really twisted and really weird. Okay, so there's no king. Mm-hmm. And this is still, you think, at the... Um, this is still early. This is still early on. Because this is referenced in Joshua. Yeah, so Dan, the tribe of Dan, is struggling to get their land. And this is also, I think, too, they intro this story coming off of Samson, because Samson was from the tribe of Dan as well. Okay. Yeah. So Dan comes in. They have been unable to secure the inheritance that Joshua gave them. They have a couple cities, like Zorah, where Samson was from, and they kind of keep those. But... They they refused. They were saying early in Joshua that uh, the inhabitants were too strong for them and they didn't want to take the land and they're right. asking for more land. And Joshua actually said, you just need to take the land. Right. Man up. The Lord will fight with you. Yeah. But they refused to do that. And so like a little band of 600 guys are running around trying to find, scout out where's a land that would be good and easy pickings. Like... 
just the easiest land for us to so, take and walk into. So here's what I'm trying to figure out in the story. Mm-hmm. They find Micah and this illegitimate little shrine. Right? Right. So what I'm trying to figure out is, was the shrine, was Micah in the land that Dan was allotted, and then they scouted out the place up north near Naphtali? They were, they were already scouting. And they found Micah up there. Yeah, because they're okay. below Ephraim, and they're starting to move north. And from the land of Dan, they go up into Ephraim. They find the shrine, and then they just continue to keep going up so, north. So the story, here's the story to catch everybody up. They send five spies to spy out the land. Mm-hmm. They find Micah, see his little shrine, but then also find this little place, Laish. Is that how you say it? Well, first, before they get there, they find Micah. Yeah. And they realize and they ask, he has a real Levite with them. Right. And they're like, is the Lord with us? And he promises, oh, yeah, the Lord's with you. But it's all illegitimate. Yes. So, like, the Lord's not with this Levite who's living up there worshiping these false Im- these right. false idols. But he says it is. So then they go back and tell all of Dan, let's well, go. They So they then take that news and then uh-huh. continue to scout up. So they go way, way north. They go uh, beyond okay. even the borders of Naphtali. Like they're at the very edge, the northern edge. And they find this quaint little village. Peaceful village. That's peaceful. And it's also so isolated by the mountains that there's no political connections. Mm-hmm. So if you attack them, you're just fighting them. Yes. And the old, everywhere else is connected. So you mess with Matt, you're messing with me, you're messing with whoever else. Mm-hmm. And so they secure the easiest kind of situation for themselves. Yes. And so this is the theme, as you see, what's happening with the Levites and Dan, the tribe of Dan, is people are doing what seems right in their own eyes, the easiest way to kind of get the blessing of God, mm-hmm. but not really be concerned about God's blessing. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. So the spies go back, they report all of this. They're like, good, so they get their little band of 600 guys who are just ready to rock. They go up, and as they are going up to Laish, they um, stop at Micah's house, and they're like, we want the blessing of God. We're going to take all of his idols, all of his stuff, and we're going to take that Levite priest, and he's going to come up with us. But the Levite's excited. They go, hey, do you want to work in this little house, or do you want to represent a whole tribe of Dan? And he's like excited. Yeah, Yeah. I'll go with you. He's like, that sounds even better. And then Micah's, all the neighbors are like, hey, what are you doing? And they're like, Dan says, what are you doing? Yeah. We have 600 men ready to fight, and they all backed off. Yeah, Micah's like, okay. So... I mean, it is interesting, too, to see, like, this money that Micah stole from his mom and then dedicated to make this false shrine is now being stolen from him Yeah. to become a false shrine up in the little town of Dan. It all comes around. Yeah, it's very interesting. And then that little town later will come into play when Jeroboam hits the scene. Right, so, um, so they go up there and they destroy this little town and Dan takes it. Yeah, and that's the city of Dan. And, and so the story of Dan is built on the false word of God. Mm-hmm. So they're clinging to like God's approval, but not through legitimate ways. Yeah. And then you have a Levite who's totally disconnected and uh, it's all centered on idolatry. And it's like, and this is super, I would say this is like maybe a generation removed from Joshua. Right. And what strikes me, because I know we got one more little chapter here that's the really shocking one, Um, so stick around, but how often we all create our own little theologies. We think that we can create little 
ways to God and things that, oh, God understands, it's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And when God has very clearly given us his word, he works through his church, he works around the word of God, he uses the Lord's Supper, he's given us things, baptism. And yet we think that um, although God does good things apart from that, that's not the primary place. We think we can create our own. And that's what uh, is happening here kind of on a very cellular level of Israel. Yes. And that's what this story is showing. It's kind of showing where the uh, Levites are. But then chapter 19 really gives, it's the state of the union. Okay, so... It's disgusting. This is what I would say. I would say those first two chapters, again, were a snapshot of early Cain, like, promised land days. And the direction of the Levites. This is now late. Right. Like, this is, like, probably now, like, some 300 years, 250 years later. Okay. And this is, like... This is now where the Levites are now. So let, let it's me even worse. Let me tell this story real quick because chapter nineteen is a shocking, uh, gross chapter. Kids, beware. Beware. Yeah. Um, basically, there's a Levite. He has a concubine. She runs away from him. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a good marriage. After four months of living with her father, the Levite goes after her. Yes. With some donkeys, insinuating, "I'm going to bring her back home. Mm-hmm. Enough is enough." Mm-hmm. The father uh, keeps entertaining him and saying, don't leave today, have another meal, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. He's actually showing him hospitality and trying to say, like, please don't disgrace my daughter, mm-hmm. don't disgrace my family, take her back. And so, okay, so after, I don't know, four or five days extra long, he leaves. But he leaves a little late because of the hospitality. Yeah. They're going through, uh, how do they say it, Jabus? Yeah, so they're going through... Uh... Which is Jerusalem. They're going through Benjamin's territory, the allotment. And so there's this town of Jabus, which is uh, Jerusalem. They haven't taken it yet. So right. it's, it's filled with the Jebusites right now. And so that's the nearest city. But ironically, he says, I don't want to stay here because they're not our people. Yeah. So he's like, um, I don't feel comfortable spending the night here. Uh, let's go spend a night in a town that's controlled by at least a tribe of Israel. And, and so the common custom was that people traveling through, you might go to the city square, you would find someone to be hospitable. Yes. Like someone would take you in, you have a place to stay, whether it's a barn, whatever, mm-hmm. they would, um, that's they would, just... They would provide for you. That's kind of like the pride of every little town mm-hmm. and village. You take in the traveler. Yeah. Well, they go to the, the city of, or a little town of Gibeah. Yep. Which is the Benjamite country, right? Mm-hmm. He's with mm-hmm. his own people. Mm-hmm. The Levite is with his own people yes. in terms Israel. of Israel. Yep. And sits in the square, and nobody invites him in. Yes. Until a guy who is from Ephraim, which yeah. is from the same home place, like like the Levite is also from Ephraim. Right. And so this guy from Ephraim who's working in this town for the, like, the season. He meets someone who's like from his hometown. Yeah. Great. Oh, you're here too. I have yeah. a place because I work here. Come and stay with me. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of surprised that he's still in the square like right. at this hour. He like comes home late from the field and is like, oh man, just come home. I'll take care of everything. Don't worry about it. And so now we get a very shockingly similar scene right. to the scene of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. In fact, it's so similar that um, at the end of the chapter, it says that this, um, it hasn't happened since, the, since, since the, we left Egypt. Yeah. So like this thing kind of thing hasn't happened. And what happened was... All the people of the... All the men. All the men 
the Benjamite men, mm-hmm. Israelite men in that in Gibeah, they did see him in the square, mm-hmm. and they demanded that this man. So they show up in the middle of the night, surround the house, start banging on the door, and demand that the that the man, the old man, give up the Levite so that they can have their way with him. So that they can be, uh, yeah, uh, sexual violence with mm-hmm. him is the best way to say it. <laughs> yeah. It, it's like, what is happening? Yes. Well, then the, the old man's like, no, no, take my daughter, which mm-hmm. is disturbing. Like, no, man. And then, um, so what they're like, no, no, we we want the man. Yeah. And we don't, look, there's just a lot of deviancy in the human condition, (laughs) the sinful human condition. And, and we see it break out like this at some time, sometimes. And, uh, so the deal they come up with is the Levite gives his, well, I I don't even think it's a deal. I think it's a last ditch effort to keep safe. So the Levite pushes his concubine out the door yeah. and slams and bars the door. That's right. He basically sacrifices her, yeah. the lady he just went to win back. Yeah. So they ravage her and rape her all night. Yes. And the idea is she... Crawls back to the doorstep and dies. Yeah. She's on the threshold. When the Levite opens the door, there she is. He just picks her up, puts her on a donkey. I mean, he is like... And it's like gross, too. Like, he walks out and looks at her and says... Get up, we gotta go. Yeah, there's no... Um, and she doesn't move, and he's like realizes she's dead, so he just throws her on the back of his donkey and goes back home. And then he does something else that's kind of like, what? It's crazy. So everything goes from awful and predictably bad to straight up insane and crazy. Yeah. This Levite, who has no... It's funny, people, people wrongly say God is angry in the Old Testament. Yeah. And we're saying, no, he's heartbroken. Yes. He actually loves us... You see the Levites and the people of God being angry and calloused and having no love or sensitivity. It's the people, not mm-hmm. God. He then does what a Levite does and decides, I'm going to cut her up, dismember her into 12 pieces, wrap up those pieces, and send them to the 12 tribes. As a sign of, this is what Benjamin... Benjamin just did this to my concubine. Mm-hmm. Like... And, uh, and this kind of stuff has not happened since before the Exodus. Yeah. And so the so people of, yeah. Everyone's going, we need to consider this. We need to take counsel and we need to, we need to take a moral inventory of where we're at and what needs to happen here. So when the Levite now is not representing and, and cutting up an offering to the Lord, things have gotten so bad that the representative from God to us and from us to God is having to cut up our battered and abused women Mm -hmm. and send it out and say, this is what we've done. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot to say. This is definitely a low point for the people of God. Something must be done. And the people of God are living in and among and acting like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's totally flipped. Not good. That's the point of this chapter. So like when the, the people responsible for administering the word of God yes have totally turned yes it's bad yes we are in a dark dark time so that's why I, I mean I just have to for my own sanity thank you Jesus for being the perfect king uh, helping us but it just makes me want to repent like oh God forgive me forever <laughs> I just want to trust you yeah so 
That's where we're at. It's a bad place. There's 30 minutes of uh, Samson, Micah, the Levite, and Gibeah. Yeah. That's the blues, man. It's a little too happy. It needs to be a little darker. Well, let's go to some good news. All right. Well, (laughs) so our New Testament reading for today is John 7, verse 45 through chapter 8, verse 30. Well, I think we're still seeing kind of the theme of the religious leaders of Israel are not acting or representing God the way that they should. Yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, it's not as outwardly brutal as what we just read in Judges, but they are not recognizing God right. or his son. And they're actively working against God yeah. and trying to kill him, basically. Like, it... it not like by cool. trying to arrest and kill Jesus, they are trying to arrest and kill God. <laughs> and as they're doing this, they're saying, uh, is he a prophet? Someone check in, the, check in the Old Testament and make sure that no prophet comes from Galilee. Yeah. Like they're trying to search the scriptures not to, to see, like just to find proof that he's not yeah. anybody. All right. They're like, he's not from, there's no way. And... And they're trying to get him arrested, and even the officers are like, I, we don't understand. No one's ever talked like this guy. We don't know. We can't arrest him. And everyone's, like, freaking out. Nicodemus comes back up for yeah. a second, and he's like... Give him a chance, guys. Like, uh, do we judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And then they get angry at it. Nicodemus and go, what, you from Galilee too? Yeah, are you a disciple? What's, yeah. what's your problem? Whoa, 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 guys. I was just saying. I was just saying. Um, and then kind of in the break in between the rest of the narrative, because the, the if you go to uh, chapter 8, verse 12, it kind of gets back into the authority of Christ. Right. But in between chapters, uh, in between these sections, you have chapter 8, which is 1 through 11, which is the woman caught in adultery. Yes. And most of your Bibles will have a little note that says the earliest manuscripts uh, did not include this section. And just a quick side note on how the Bible is compiled. Um, you take you take the the scribes would write down everything, and there's yes. two main lines. There's one the Alexandrian and the, another one Byzantine lines. And so sometimes you'd have stories added, and if it's not in enough of them, they kind of weeded them out, and they said that's not really authoritative. If it's right. only like five times or six times out of the uh, 10,000 times, we don't really trust that. This is one that wasn't in the earliest one, but the story was in enough of the later ones that it's worth noting, like, it was not in the earliest ones, but it's there. We, we trust it. Right. And so just, you can still, you can trust your Bible and the, mm-hmm. the new translations are trying to be honest with you, which is helpful, but sometimes it can be confusing. But this story is a, a great story of Jesus putting down the stone. And what I mean by that is the woman caught in adultery, the Pharisees are trying to um, prove a point about Jesus. They're yes. trying to trap him. Yes. So either he's going to follow the Old Testament law of stoning this woman for adultery, or he's going to um, do nothing and they're... and break their law, or he's going to, like, what, tell the Romans and say, oh, I'm of Rome. Like, they're trying to get him in an impossible situation where he's proving to be a traitor to them, a lawbreaker... Or a murderer to the Romans will say, oh, he's a murderer. You can't just kill somebody. Yeah. And so 
the big hole, the big opening in their plan, which if you've been reading along with us, this should jump out to you because we had a whole section about what to do with adultery, Right, is that it takes two yeah. to commit adultery. Right. So there is a man that is missing from the equation. Right. And uh, if you're going to kill one of them, you have to kill both of them. And so they only bring the woman that's caught in adultery, and apparently it let the man go. Right. So right from the beginning, they're not being honest mm-hmm. or even lawfully dealing with the law. Right. So Jesus then um, says, he who is without sin among you, be the first to throw a stone at her. Yeah. And then he starts writing something in the dirt. Yes. People, I've often heard people say, oh, he's writing their sins, and that's why they all kind of went away. I think he probably was writing the verse from Deuteronomy that they were referencing. Yeah. So like a lot, I, I read that judges would often write their sentence in the, the dirt or in the sand. Before they announced it. Yeah. And so I think he's probably just writing like the actual verse. I mean, Jesus has proven to know the book of Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. He's probably writing down like, oh, here's the actual law you're referencing. Mm-hmm. And are we taking it seriously or not? And then some have suggested that many of these men may have slept with her. Yeah. He's know? writing their names. Yeah. And he's just saying, so if we're going to do this. Here's how it would go. Mm-hmm. But he says, um, you who are without sin, throw the first stone. So really, the only one left in that group that could throw a stone would be Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is the only one who can throw the stone because he is without sin. Yeah. And Jesus drops his stone and says, um, where has everybody gone? She's like, uh, has no one condemned you? And he's like, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. So, beautiful story, because the truth is, and it's proven throughout the scriptures, it's substantiated, that Jesus did not come to judge us and destroy us with the law. He came to fulfill the law and give it to us through his death. He takes the judgment. Yeah, he took the, he took the stones and were thrown at him, mm-hmm. and he doesn't throw them at us. Yeah. And so that's the beautiful part of that story, and uh, I love it. Yeah, I agree. Well, then you get back to his, the question of his authority. Like, mm-hmm. who is this guy? Where does he come from? And that's where Jesus just keeps making it like very clear and more aggravating to them. Because he says, I am the light of the world. Yes. Like, I am the first thing among creation. Like, mm-hmm. let there be light. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And then he goes on. Uh, we'll save some time here. Yeah. Basically, he's saying, I know your law is about witnesses. You need two people. Well, I testify to myself about myself. And if you don't like that, the Father has testified about, about, about me. And... Uh, the reason you don't know his testimony is because you don't know him. Right. And, and you just, don't know me. Yep. And so therefore, you don't know me. And then he keeps saying, you don't know where I've come from. Right. Which is great because it, there's a double meaning there. Yes. They keep, they keep accusing that he's just from... Galilee. Galilee. But he was born in Bethlehem. Right. So he keeps saying, like, you don't know where I'm from. You don't know my lineage. And also, I'm from God. And you don't know that either. Because you don't know my father. Mm-hmm. And you think you know. And he's saying all this in the temple where they claim to know God. Yes. And they are the people of God. But he's actually, and then he actually says, I am from above. You are from below. Unless you believe, you will die in your sins. Like, <laughs> all you have to do is believe. Uh, and then they still go, well, who are you? Yeah. Where is your father? Where are you going? I'm going to a place you can't find me. And, and event, basically what I hear is, Jesus says, look, I'm the one sent from God to declare his word to you. You wanted a mediator with Moses. You said, yeah, don't talk to us directly, God. And now the one Moses spoke of is here, and you don't recognize him, his voice. You don't recognize the things that he's saying. Jesus says, I don't do anything on my own authority. 
I'm, I'm 100% a servant to God in my human nature. I obey everything God says. We're totally unified, and I'm pleasing to him. And as a result, a bunch of people believed. Yeah, it's, it, so, it is like, interesting to see, like, the, the spiritual authorities are still kicking against him, but, like, other people who are around are going, I think this is the one. Well, you're, you're hardening or you're softening. Mm-hmm. You're opening up and believing or you're hardening and not believing. You're being judged or you're being saved. Yeah. And so Jesus, uh, the main thing, though, here is to recognize Jesus's authority is God-given and substantiated by the Word of God, both most Old and New Testaments. Mm-hmm. It's substantiated by his works and his own profession and his death and resurrection. So we know where God's from, and we believe in him. Yeah. Boom. Boom. So I'm going to read Psalm 60 today, which feels super appropriate with the judge's passage that we've just read of Israel completely not getting it and falling away from God and receiving some natural punishment for that. Oh God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. You have made the land to quake. You have torn it open. Repair its breaches, for it totters. You have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. You have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow. That your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer us. God has spoken in his holiness. With exaltation I will divide up Shechem, the portion out of the vale of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter, Moab is my wash basin, upon Edom I cast my shoe, over Philistine I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go forth, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace, serve the Lord, and we will talk to you next time.